was a beautiful job. Um, you'll find with me that there are lots and lots of things that I cannot do. That is one of them. I'm so thankful for those young ladies and their willingness to worship the Lord in that way. Uh, what a gift they are to us to have them a part of our, our faith family. And again, so thankful for that. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. You might be thinking Colossians 1 is not a Christmas text. And in some ways you might be correct. But um, we have been walking through Isaiah 9, 6. Just started last week. Fred Hall covered some of that for us. And uh, we're, we're looking at different names that Jesus is prophesied to be. So again, we, we read this a little while ago. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So in Christ, we see the incarnation of the characteristics of God. And last week, Fred reminded us that when this prophecy speaks of the government on his shoulder, that it is a declaration of the responsibility and authority that Jesus had. That, that was a good reminder right? That, that it's, it's kind of like when people say, oh, you, you've had a lot of weighty decisions as the boss or the, the guy in charge uh, or lady in charge, whatever it is. You, you've got a lot of things on your plate, right? It's a heavy plate, heavy weight to bear. Well, in Jesus, all government is on his shoulder. So understand that when he makes that claim, and the Great Commission saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It wasn't just that day. That wasn't a new revelation. This had been prophesied about him that it was already on him. All the government, all rule, all reign, all authority, all responsibility was already on Jesus. We'll talk some more about that Great Commission and the responsibility that we have in response to him. Again, Fred took us through just a beautiful understanding of Jesus being our wonderful counselor. And so today I want us to focus on Jesus as mighty God. I mentioned just a minute ago that I have a, a list. It's a rather long list of things that I cannot do. You know, if you have, if you have something messed up with your car, do not call me. I have no abilities in this area. I mean, like, I guess you could call me and I could, I, could, I could call somebody else for you if that's what you're needing. If you have something wrong with like a sound system issue, do not call me. I cannot, I cannot fix that. You, you might call one of our, uh, like those guys that do that week after week, Kylie Ham. You might call Gino about your car. You know what? Um, like you can, I, I want to make clear, like as your pastor, you can call me for anything, anytime, day or night, no problem. But like, if you want me to do something about it, like there's a, you do not need to call me about plumbing, electrical work, trim work, car work, audio. In reality, like anything that you can think of that, that somebody handy 
needs to help you with. I am not your guy. Like, that's okay. I, I know uh, my weaknesses and all the things that are on that list are weaknesses. But imagine that you go to the car repair shop, right? You pull in, you got squeaky brakes, or you got a leak, or you got something, and the employee says to you, oh, I don't know how to do that. Um, all I know how to do is pump gas. You say to them, my pastor knows how to do that. Don't, that's not what we're looking for, right? Like, I need, I need some help. This is, this is broken. If you, you call the plumber and the plumber shows up and he says, the only thing I know how to use is Drano. And every plumber ever says, don't use Drano. And so like, you're not, you didn't call, you didn't call someone that's really helpful to you, right? Just like you wouldn't, it wouldn't be helpful for you to call on me for all of those things. But isn't it good to know isn't it good to know that whenever we call on God, he has complete power and ability to fix, to solve, to reconcile, to restore, to heal. So when we're calling on him because you have a, a broken marriage, you can know that the all-powerful, mighty God can restore you call on God when you're heartbroken because your child has gone their own way. You can rejoice because you're calling on one who can bring him back. When you call on the Lord because you or someone you love is, is in the hospital, had a bad diagnosis, you're calling on the one who is the healer. Mighty God, powerful enough to do all of these things. So as I was deciding, what scripture would display this mighty God? I thought about passages that showed Jesus as mighty enough to calm the storm, right? Heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise the dead. But ultimately, I landed on this passage in Colossians 1 because in this, we don't just see a, a narrative of Jesus in action. We see a description of Jesus as the mighty God. I think about Jesus being mighty God. I, I think of several words, words like powerful, fortress, protector, creator, even divine. We'll talk about that. This text expresses those same sort of descriptive words and more. So follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I see knowing that the prophet Isaiah was speaking of one to come that could be described as mighty God, let us consider who Jesus is using this text from Paul with mighty God as our backdrop. Jesus, the mighty God, is God. You say, it seems like a, a little repetitive there, but I want you to remember that too many times this can be lost. Too many, it's, it's too often for us that we look and say and describe Jesus as maybe even not a part of the Trinity for some reason. It's like, it's like he gets pulled, pulled out. <laughs> when you say God, you're thinking God the Father. God did such and such. But I want you to know that Jesus is God. It's hard to grasp the Trinity. In fact, uh, if you have an analogy about the Trinity, you think, I got the one, the one analogy that works. No, you don't. There is not an analogy that works. There's nothing, no one at all like him. Like we can try, but all of them fail. And you can think, oh, I got the one that worked. No, like it probably doesn't. You, and, and you did not come up with a good one. I did not either, right? They, they, they're, they're just, they all fall short because describing the perfections of one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have different responsibilities but are still one God, it's like way too big for us to grasp, which is, which is part of the reason that we need to remember that Jesus is God. Yes, yeah, so when we call him mighty God, we're, we're saying he is God. He's the image of the invisible God. It's one of the things that actually becomes helpful for us. We have the benefit of being on this side of the timeline, looking back to Jesus as one that we can see the things that he, remember the list I just gave you about the places I thought about going? I thought about the, the, the picture we can see when, when he, it's his voice that calms the storm after he wakes up from sleeping through it. It's his hands that put mud on the blind man's eyes, right? It's, it's him who breaks the bread and it becomes five loaves and two fish feed 5,000. It's, it's him over and over and over again because Jesus, this mighty God, is actually God. He's the image, the, the picture for us of one that we cannot see otherwise. He's the image of the invisible God. 
This is why we are reminded, or John reminds us in John 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And why the book of Matthew records the angel saying to Mary that she should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know if you enjoy that quite enough. I know sometimes we just, we say names. We, we sing lyrics to songs that, that just kind of happen because we've been singing them for years. We forget how good they are. And I, sometimes I think we say names of Christ. We even say characteristics about him and forget how glorious they really are. Emmanuel, that God is with us. You know, so many times in, in the world, this, this fact that Jesus is God is actually disputed, right? I don't, I don't say that to you because uh, necessarily you dispute it, but you do realize that a, a huge portion of the world believes that Jesus existed. They just don't believe he is God. In fact, that's what sent him to the cross, right? He claimed that he was the son of God. And so they're saying, blasphemy. You can't say you're God. Who do you think you are? Well, who does he think he is? He thinks he's God because he is. And so imagine this. Though There's all these people all around the world who would even say, hey, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and eventually we'll all get to the same place because it's like you're traveling up a mountain and God is at the top of that mountain. And your God is fine. You, you go up this side of the mountain and I'll go up that side of the mountain. You believe that Jesus will get you there, it's fine. Muslims go this route, and Buddhists go this route, and Christians go this way. It's fine. You just, it's all the same. God just got a different name. No. Because the one true God came down from that mountain and was born in a manger. came to us. He became Emmanuel, God with us. He made it so we, we didn't have to struggle through the mountain. We could, we could walk right to him because he, he came to us for us. This one, this mighty God is God. He is also Jesus, the mighty God, is creator. Continue on in this passage for verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible thrones or dominions, rulers or, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created by him. He spoke them. He is the very word of God. So if things were spoken into being, it's because he spoke them into being by him. All things were created. It means he was there. And he wasn't just there because he got invited. He was there because he is God, right? We've already established that. He, he created things. I want you to, everybody awake? Oh, that was a good half of you. Let's get the rest of you. If, you're, if you were, I want you to do something for me. Raise your hand if you were created. If your hand is not up, this is really awkward. I feel like we got to... 
circle back to some stuff, okay? Even you little babies out there, mom and dad should have raised your hand, okay? You were created. And so, like, you were designed by him, through him, and catch this, if you just raised your hand, you were created for him. The reason for your existence is for the glory of Christ. This is why you are breathing right now, right? You're trying to figure out like, what's your purpose in life. Students, you're trying to figure out like, what, what am I gonna be when I grow up? Guess what? Right now, you exist for the glory of God. Adult, you're trying to figure out like, how's this gonna be? What am I, man, like struggling through life. What am I wanting to do? How do I wanna be? What is this gonna look like? How's, you exist for the glory of Christ. You were created, designed, made definitively for Christ. By him. He designed you for him. So if, if the purpose is for you to give Christ glory, then how's that going? How does that affect or, or change like small things maybe. How does it affect or change the, the way you sing, right? If you were made by Christ, for Christ, do you sing of his praise? I get it. We're not all like winning Grammys around here. It's fine. Like, do you find yourself singing of his praise at all? Do you give yourself an excuse because you have a bad voice? Or you say, like, singing's not really my thing. Well, just mouth the words. Like, do something. Give him glory. Like, your voice should be giving praise to him. Your words. How does it change your job? Like, what you do at work, day in and day out. Like, do you work as though you're working for the Lord? You study as though you're studying to honor Christ? How's that going? How about uh, in your gospel sharing? Like, you know, telling other people about the good news of Jesus Christ that even though you're lost and you can be found by Christ even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You can be made alive in him. If they will repent and turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus. Like, do you, do you share that news? Like when, was, when was the last time you told somebody else about Christ? Pause. Think. When was the last time you shared the gospel? Some of us are having to think too long, too hard, because we can't remember. If you were created for the glory of Christ, then you were created to make Christ's glory known. How does that change your giving? Like, wait a second, you were already stepping on my toe with the whole telling people about Jesus. Now you're telling me I gotta give money? I'm not. I'm just telling you what scripture tells you. Like, how are you are you joyful in your giving? Is it pleasant for you? 
If you're, if you're giving out of an abundance to, of, of excitement because you realize that he's, he's asked you to manage his resources for a time, and so in that time, you're going you're gonna to give of those resources to the Lord. <clears throat> and you're gonna, we, we've used phrases like doing whatever it takes. Are you going to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to, to sacrifice in that way? Think, think about these kinds of ways that, that this mighty God deserves this from us. The mighty God who is creator. But he didn't just create and then step back. Jesus, the mighty God, is sustainer. Right? Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hold together. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the, a video clip or heard from uh, when Louis Giglio, Pastor Louis Giglio, does the thing about laminin. Laminin, some of y'all have seen that. I think we've, several of y'all might have even shown that. It's, it's a pretty neat clip. I would recommend it. It's good. Uh, but uh, laminin is a cell adhesion molecule that it's actually like the, the stuff that holds your body, like your physical body, together. Okay, and it's a really neat thing. I don't have any pictures of it, so it doesn't matter. But like, if you, if you look at a microscopic picture of that, that cell adhesion molecule is in the shape of a cross. And it's really neat. It's this cool thing because you're reminded that, that even the, you're held together by Christ. But I want you to know something. It does not matter if, what shape the cell adhesion molecule is in. It's cool, but it doesn't really matter. It could be a triangle, a heart, a diamond. It could be a rhombus. I do not care. It is, it is not the shape that is affected. It is the fact that the reality of this passage tells us that we are completely held together by Christ. And this isn't just talking about your body alone. This is reminding us, you know how that phrase, like, I'm just falling apart. Ever feel like you're falling apart? Ever feel like everything around you is like collapsing? In him, all things hold together. This, this does not mean that our mighty God is Mr. Fix-It. Like the little one call, he's just genie, and he's just going to do whatever. It means that you can be confident that when you pray to him, it's not like calling me to fix your car. My prayer time this morning, I, I've told you all many times, my, my brother and my dad, um, we, we pray together over the phone each Sunday morning, and um, today we, we prayed about the details of a move, we prayed about a hurting back, a bad shoulder, a judge's orders. We prayed about sermons. We prayed about lost people we knew. We prayed about saved people we knew. And because Christ holds all things together, he can answer all of those prayers according to his will. Every one of them. Those are all drastically different prayer requests. And we, he, can, he can hear and answer them according to his will. He's not just a powerful enough God. He's also all loving and all wise. So 
he, he wants to do what's best for you in his love, and he knows what's best for you in his wisdom, and he is powerful enough to do it because he is mighty God. Isn't it good to know you can call on this God for your broken marriage? Isn't it good to know that you can call on this God about your wayward child or your deep-seated depression, your anxiety, your fear, your worry, your doubt, your anger, your unwarranted rage, your heartbreak, the job you despise, your grades, your relationships, you can call on him because he holds all things together. He is the mighty God. Jesus, the mighty God, is sustainer, and Jesus, the mighty God, is first. This text wants to be sure that we know that. Right? He is the firstborn of all creation. Then in verse 17, he is before all things. In verse 18, he's the head of the body. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's preeminent. And, and to be clear, firstborn here is not saying that Jesus, as the Son of God, had to be born. He's always been. The Trinity has always existed. Instead, this is a reference to birthright. Some of you, many of you, in fact, uh, we're here on Sunday evening during Matthew Smith's sermon series uh, about Jacob, and he did an excellent job of helping us understand birthright and, and how all of that played into to Jacob and Esau and all of those sort of things. And even month, uh, months ago now, uh, Nathan Lucas preached a sermon on a Sunday night about the prodigal son and specifically talked about birthright, the older and the younger, and, and how that was working. And the way someone loses their birthright is sin. So here's what this is reminding us when, when we say that Jesus is first or when Paul writes that he's the firstborn. This is, this is not just that he's the firstborn of Joseph and Mary, but of all creation, implying that he's the only one that could keep such a sinless status. He's it. This is the only way. This is why then when you fast forward to the end of Revelation, as we just completed, and you get to Revelation 22, he declares once again, not just that he's the first, but he's also the last. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's declaring he's it. He's the only one that could be sinless, perfect, holy, never doing wrong, never acting wrong, never thinking wrong. And so when you and I, when we, when we find ourselves believing that we are good enough on our own, and we can work hard enough, strive hard enough, maybe we can even answer those other questions with, I've, I've shared the gospel enough, or I've given enough money, or I've showed up enough times in this building. You've got to know, you and I cannot do it. But this mighty God who is first, he is sinless, perfect, righteous in all his ways. That's what Paul's saying when he says he's first. So Jesus, the mighty God, is 
first, best, perfect, and holy. And it is from that perfection that we can be reminded that Jesus, the mighty God, is atonement. Look at verse 20. Through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Atonement. Don't, don't miss the significance of this one. Atonement is paying the price that you and I should have paid. What do we deserve? Hell. Death. We, we have sinned and done wrong. We have offended a perfectly righteous God, this one that we just described. We've offended him. You and I were born sinners. So we were sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice, right? I mean, you, you think about your life for very long at all, and you will find places that you know that you have done wrong against God. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned. And so this, this one, remember he came down off the mountain, he, he makes a way, he atoned, he paid for our sin and tells us that all we have to do is turn away from our sin, our self. He uses the word repentance. Repent of our sin and trust in him. Trust in this Jesus, this one who came to earth to pay for our sin. It seems like he's one worthy of trust, right? Because he's paid a penalty for us with his blood on the cross. He took it. Atonement. He did what we deserved. Mentioned that word worthy. You see, all of this reminds us that Jesus, the mighty God, is worthy. He's worthy of our faith, verse 23. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of us trusting in him, believing in him. Friends, if, if you don't know him, like if, if right now the, how he's being described is the first of, of your understanding, and maybe you know about him, but you don't really know him, I want to invite you today to trust in this Jesus to do just as I described, to turn away from your sin, repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. He's worthy of your faith. He's worthy of you believing. He's worthy of me believing in him more than believing in myself, more in believing in that I can do it. I can fix it. I can solve it. But he's also worthy of proclamation. So church, because you know him, He's worthy of you making him known, right? Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This is a gospel that you've heard, right? If you are a part of the body of Christ, it's because you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone shared with you. And so I, I wonder 
if you would share. You see, because uh, Jesus, the mighty God, came, the mission of Christmas is to proclaim his death and his resurrection to the world. You know, last Sunday, I was greeting right out at the, the front early in the morning, and one of our elders stopped me to let me know that he, he led uh, the Orkin man to Christ standing in his driveway. And then last Wednesday, I got word that one of our children, one of our elementary school kids, shared the gospel with his classmate, and that classmate went home and trusted in Christ. Talked with his parents a little bit more to make sure he understood, but he chose to follow Christ. I long for more and more stories like these. I know that you know uh, about me that I, I want to propel us uh, to the nations, to send us in that way. I want us to, to care about every nation, tribe, and tongue all around the world. I, I want that for us as a church. But I've got really good news for you. We live in a nation, and there's all kinds of tongues around here. So tell them. You can tell them in your driveway. You can tell them in your classroom. You can tell them at your job. You can, you can tell them in your neighborhood. Like People need to know that Jesus is the mighty God who came to save them from their sins, to save them from eternity in hell. And so you have that good news, so you share it. I want you to see that our God is mighty to save and he's supreme over all things. But I want you to know that he is sufficient to cover your sin. You don't need Jesus plus something else. It's not like you need Jesus and your hard work, Jesus and your more money. You need Jesus. And this is why he's worthy of proclamation and he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of your worship. Isn't he? Isn't he worthy of our, of our total praise? Isn't he worthy of our adoration, of our, of our complete surrender to him in every way? He's worthy. So I want to invite you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as I just described, I want you to do that right where you are. I, I plead with you to do that right where you are. Trust in him. There is no one, no one else to trust in. So I, I encourage you to follow after him in this way. In fact, if you have questions about that, you think, I, I think I want to do that, but I'm not exactly sure what to say or how to say it, or, or maybe you're just curious. I want to encourage you right here to my left, uh, in just a minute when we sing, there will be some there that would love to talk with you, pray with you, answer questions for you. Maybe you've already done that. Right where you sit, you've, you've called out to God and you've, you've, you've said, God, I want to I wanna follow you. I want to stop following my plan. I want to follow you. Still, come to that room and we'll celebrate with you. We'll rejoice and praise God that you have made this decision. But that's what I want to encourage you to do. For, for anybody else who who does know this Jesus. Maybe it is 
you are one that has something broken and you need to call on him. You need to ask him. God, do what only you can do. I believe that you're strong enough and power enough to change me. Right? Not, not just a genie, kind of make your wishes, but you're powerful and strong enough to change the, the course that I go. You're powerful enough to, to heal. You're powerful enough to restore and reconcile. So I call on you to do that. Maybe it is this morning that your response needs to be giving him the praise and adoration that he deserves. So as we sing that our Lord is the Almighty One, that he is holy and righteous and perfect, might you sing with us, giving him the glory that he most richly deserves. Would you stand with me now as we respond?